Good morning. The scripture reading today is from John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. If you're using the Pewback Bible in front of you, you can find that on page 903. John 17, 20 through 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who would believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Will Turner. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross. And if you've been around... We have spent the last several months in the last night of Jesus' life, which is funny if you're not familiar with the Bible story, like the last bit of John is one night, many chapters, spending time where Jesus is just hanging out with his disciples, eating together, telling them the most important things he could possibly tell them in this time before he went off to be crucified. And last week we began the last section of this night together before they went to the garden where Jesus is beginning to pray for his disciples. He knows he's going to the cross. He knows it's not going to be a quick, painless death. He knows all of the suffering and all of the weight of the sin that he's about to, uh, that is about to be placed on him. He He knows that even at that very moment, like his closest friends were betraying him and would, would deny him and betray him. In the future, he knows all of that. And instead of like holding that against them, he does something extremely loving. He prays this theologically rich prayer about his glory and about ultimately what he sees as the most important thing that they can experience as disciples, and that is unity. And then Jesus does something incredible for us today in the second half of this prayer, the last piece is. In this moment, right, he's been praying for the 12 or the 11 in this moment, but he does something at the end that is very strange. And if I was a disciple in the room, I probably would have had questions afterwards. I don't know if they had a further discussion, but Jesus stops. One commentator even talks about how it's almost like he stops as he's leaving under the doorway and he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to pray for all of those who will believe in me too. My disciples, not just in this room, but all of those who will one day call, call my name and be saved. 
And it's an amazing thing. He extends this prayer out from the disciples to those who, would, uh, those who would follow him one day. And the prayer that we see in this text is not a different prayer than, than the one we heard before. It's a prayer for unity, for oneness, for wholeness, and how that is unpacked. So let's pray and then understand more deeply what God's word has for us in regards to unity. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, these intimate moments with Jesus, where we can see him just talking to you and asking for things that he wants, that he desires, and that those very words can be words that give us hope and change us and make us more like him. So God, I ask that you do that work this morning, that you make us more like you, that you sanctify us, that you shape us, that you soften us, And we ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, John 17, verse 20. He says, I ask, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will, future word, right? Will believe in me through their word. And there's so many things I love about this. One, we've talked about that Jesus is praying for you and I. uh, And we know that if you're a follower of Christ in this room, and you became a believer by hearing the gospel, hearing the word of God preached. Romans teaches us those who hear the gospel are those who can be saved. The Holy Spirit softens your heart and you are his, God's child. Jesus was praying for you in this very moment. He prays for you. But the other thing that I love about this little moment in time, this passage, isn't just that Jesus is praying for us in this room, but it's also that Jesus knows as he goes to the cross, as he is put to death, he knows what's going to happen to his disciples. He's been telling them, hey guys, it's going to be bad for me, and then it's going to be bad for you. The world's going to hate you because they hated me and all this stuff. He knows all of that, and he knows in this moment as he prays that their message will not fail. It will be successful. Why would he pray for future believers if he didn't think there were going to be future believers? He knew. He knew that it would be successful. He knew that no demon, no ruler, no emperor, king, leader, none of that could stop the power of the gospel. None of it. It would extend from that upper room out into the world, out into the city, until we get to be here today because of it. That's a miracle. It's incredible. And for those who he was addressing, what does he pray? He prays that we all be one, verse 21. Just as you, the Father, are in me and I in you, that they also, speaking about us, may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you love me. Jesus was praying for us in this room Believers in this time, that we be unified. And unity sounds like a really good thing, right? And I don't think just Christians agree on that. Like if you look at the world around us, everybody wants us to be unified. There are movements everywhere for the unification of people, that people would agree and get along, and you've seen the coexist bumper stickers. Unity is not something foreign to the world. But the kind of unity that God is calling us to is a little bit different than the unity that the world would have you believe. Here's why. I want to I like 
separate this a little bit because I think what the world would tell you is unity at the cost of everything you believe. Compromise all that you believe so you can fit the mold that we want you to. And I actually believe that this is a lie that the devil himself has crafted for our generation right now, that we must, in order to be unified to the world around us, compromise everything we believe, water it down to the point where we can all get along. It, it, is, it is so sad to me that so many Christians are content with comp compromising and rationalizing what I believe is a demonic siege being laid on the image of God all around us. And we're just so willing to just compromise for the sake of what the world would call unity. That's wrong. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. D.A. Carson wrote this. He said, unity is not achieved by hunting enthusiastically for the lowest common theological denominator, but it's caused by common adherence to the, the apostles the apostles' gospels. It's by a common adherence to the apostles' gospel. Jesus is not praying for unity for us based on our own opinions of who God is, but it is a unity based on who God truly is revealed to us through his word, through the writings of his disciples. That's the kind of unity we're looking for, not a water down everything that you believe so that you can fit in and have peace with the world. It is a unity based on the common belief of Jesus in the Gospels. And unity also isn't uniformity. In this room, weekly, we gather as nurses, teachers, lawyers, Chiefs fans, maybe Broncos fans, praying specifically for them, single people, married people, and there isn't an, there, we say this all the time, there's not a reason in the world why we should be in this room together. Zero reason. Most of us outside of the gospel would not get along. Maybe we would be friends, but there is a disruption in this room without Jesus. But because of the gospel, because of the banner that we stand under, the gospel that saved us, that transformed us, that's constantly sanctifying us, we sit in this room together and call each other brother and sister. That's amazing. It's not uniformity, we're all different. We, we, we're, we're made different, we think different, we agree on different things, we disagree on many things, but we are unified in this room under the banner of the gospel that saved us. It is a beautifully unique, diversified unification of healed people under the banner of Jesus. That's what he's calling us to. Not a, not a, not a unity that is lowest common denominator in our belief system, and not a unity where we all have to be the exact same type of person. But it is a diverse group of people gathered under the banner of the gospel for the sake of the mission of the gospel. Matt Carter says it's receiving a new identity as one with Christ, being swallowed up in fellowship with God himself, his son, and his spirit. The unity that Jesus is calling us to is a participation. Now, Ryan talked about this a few weeks ago. It's a participation in the, in the mysterious dance that happens in the Trinity between Father, Son, and Spirit as they love one another, are in relationship with one another. We are caught up in that with him, unified in him. That's what unity is. And notice how Jesus talks about it. He says, I in the Father and the Father is in me. If you remember back to John's prologue, at the very beginning of this whole thing, we, we started together, the whole point was him saying, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 
from the very beginning of John, he's trying to get us to see that Jesus wasn't just a good guy. He wasn't just like some good prophet. He was wrapped up in the Trinitarian Godhead. And, and Jesus's prayer for us in this moment is that we would be unified with him in that. So that the way that the father loves Jesus, he gets to love you too through Jesus. The way that, the Jesus, inter- the way that Jesus interacts with the father is how he interacts with you as a part of that. The way that the Trinity plays out in the, uh, the way that the spirit plays out in the Trinity interacts with you as well, being unified with God because of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection. That's the only reason we get to participate in that. And so the spirit lives inside all of us who believe and unifies us with the son and the father. Another commentator says, just as the father and son are distinguishable yet perfectly unified, so we, though different, with different gifts, backgrounds, preferences, and appearances, are perfectly unified in and through Christ. He says, if there is a river of love that is eternally flowed between the members of the Trinity, then we find our unity with one another by immersing ourselves completely in that river. We get so close to Jesus that we become drenched with his love, with the result being that we cannot help but love one another. That's what brought us into this room today. It's the love of Jesus poured out on you that causes you to love the other people around you. That does not happen without Jesus. That is what the church is. If you look at uh, the church at Philippi at the time, the letter in uh, Philippians where Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, they were struggling with unity. They were struggling over this very thing that Jesus prayed for, but what was Paul's message to them? He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not for his own interest, but the interest of others. Paul's solution to the unity problem was be more unified with Christ. If you're more unified with Christ, you're going to be more connected to the love of Christ. And when you're more connected to the love of Christ, you're going to love people better than you ever possibly could. It's the only way. You want to be more unified? Be more unified with Jesus. Unified as a people? Be more unified with Jesus. Be more like Christ. Be more connected with Christ. And then Paul goes on to describe the love and humility of Jesus as he went to the cross for us, for our sins, and what it was all for. And why, 23, that we may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So why does, <clears throat> excuse me, why does Christ want us to be unified? Why does it matter that we're unified with Christ? So that the world may know that God sent the Son and loved the disciples even as God loved Jesus. That's what he's saying. Be unified. I pray that they are unified so that the world may know that God sent Jesus to the world. It's the mission that unites us as well as the identity that unites us. We are caught up in the Trinitarian Godhead, right? Like we're caught up in that together. And it was for the purpose that we can be unified on God's mission together. One pastor says, we are unified to rescue sinners from the shackles of death. Our mission is to go into this world with the love and unity that Christ has brought us into and as Charles Spurgeon says, I love this quote, he said, if sinners be damned, at least, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. 
If hell is going to be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Man, that's what the mission we're called to be, or called to do. We are called to go and do this, not alone, but united as a body of believers, united in Jesus and united for Jesus in this world to do this mission. It's why we're still here. It's why, <clears throat> it's why when you got saved, God didn't just like suck you up into the clouds. He could have done that. But the reason you're still here is he gets glory by our participation and unified unity in his mission. God is getting more glory every single day that every conversation that you have, that, that people get a reflection of the glory of God he is glorified through that conversation. Every time you tell someone about Jesus and, and what he did for them on the cross and how he was resurrected and didn't just stay dead, but he rose again, like every single one of those times you talk about that, every time you love your kids, every time you love your friends, and the way that Jesus loved you being uh, as, a, as a result of the love, the river of love, right, being poured out in you, that is a glorifying moment to Jesus. It's why we're still here. It's why we're still here. We are unified together with Jesus and we are unified together to go on Jesus's mission in this world to see sinners be saved. It's a miracle that we get to be, participate in that. One of the commentators in this book, he writes like a little excursus on what it looks like to be a unified church. And so I want to take a moment to like step outside because I thought it was really helpful for us as we, as we look at unity as a whole. I won't go too deeply, but I do want to outline the bold points that we can be challenged together and grow. This is what he says, a unified church is according to the Bible. He says, a unified church is one committed to biblical instruction. He says, unity is not a byproduct of discussion and diplomacy. Rather, unity flows from a commitment to the word of God. In John 17, Jesus uses the word glory in the sense of revelation. The disciples have received the revelation of God through the ministry of Jesus. This glory came not only through his person and works, but also through his words. His glory is parallel to his words. We will be one as we continue to hold firmly to the revelation or the glory of God passed down from his disciples. If every member of the church is willing to ask, what does the Bible say? and commit to obey it no matter what, the church will experience unity. There will, never be a, there will never be unity within a church when the word of God is neglected. Never. It will not happen. So one, a unified church is one committed to biblical instruction. Two, a unified church has a shared understanding of our new identity in Christ. This means like, all of us aren't sitting here wondering who we are in Christ and dealing with different things. A unified church is confident that we are a bunch of broken people that God scooped out of the mud, washed clean by the blood of Jesus and made new. We have received a new identity. We have been purchased by the blood of Christ. We are now sons and daughters of God, co-heirs to the riches of heaven alongside of our brother Jesus. A unified church is not confused about that reality. We are locked arm together, understanding what the gospel did for us in that moment. So a unified church is a church who is committed to biblical instruction. A unified church has a shared understanding of our new identity. Three, a unified church has a shared pursuit of sacrificial love. A shared pursuit of sacrificial love. 
Galatians 6.1, we bear one another's burdens. Romans 15, we instruct one another. Ephesians 4, we forgive one another. James 5, we pray for one another. Ephesians 5, we submit to one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, we encourage one another. And Hebrews 10, we provoke one another, provoke one another to love and good works. A unified church has a shared pursuit of sacrificial love. It's very easy. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Like, You don't need the Holy Spirit to love the people that love you. You do need the Holy Spirit to love people who are hard to love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love where we lay down our lives for the sake of others. We lay down our interest for the sake of others' interest and caring for one another. So we're committed to God's word. We're locked in and confident in our new identity in Christ. And we are pursuing sacrificial love for one another. And the last thing he says is a unified church will have a shared discontentment with selfish division. Here's what that means. It means that we will be unified in knowing that division is not an option here. Division is not an option based on selfishness. Uh, A a Puritan preacher wrote this about the church in discord. He said, discord and division become no Christian. For wolves to worry the lambs is no wonder. But for one lamb to worry another lamb, this is unnatural and monstrous. He's saying like, we are meant to be together. We are meant to be unified. We are meant to not be caught up in our selfish division, like selfish division for selfish reasons. We're to lay that down, going back to the sacrificial love and work towards unity. For one lamb to worry another lamb, this is unnatural and monstrous. That's what a unified church is according to scripture. And our city needs a unified church. They need it. The world needs a unified church. They need the church to not be fighting in and of themselves, but they need to be united with Christ, understanding their identity and united on mission. I just can't imagine for a moment, what would it look like if we were masters of this? And I'm not saying we're not. I think we are, we embody many of these things well. And I'm so thankful for that. My wife and I talk about this all the time, how thankful we are that as a church, I feel like we are a unified church in many ways. But like, what would it look like for us to not just embrace our identity as a unified church, but to take that same unified body and put it on God's mission in a big way? It means that the neighborhoods in which you live begin to change. The ways that you talk to people at work, it will shift that. But things that you thought were impossible can become possible. Because you are not just a unified church, but you're unified with Christ and your brothers and sisters. We can go on God's mission together. Thomas Minton said this, divisions in the church breed atheism in the world. And another pastor puts it this way, the effectiveness of the church's evangelism is devastated by dissension and disputes among its members. The good news is in this, it feels a little daunting, right? That's a lot of pressure, but the good news is do not forget the context of this prayer and scripture that Jesus is actually praying for us right now for this very thing. The river of love flows out into the world through unity. Verse 24 continues, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. Again, highly theological prayer. 
Orion mentioned last week, it would be so fun to like get into all the weeds and details of every word that Jesus says, but we would be here several more months in the last night of Jesus' life. Maybe we'll do that sometime. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus, in this moment, as he prays for unity, also prays that the love of the Father be in his followers and that he desires for us to be with him again. This is the last thing he prays in this prayer is not just that we would be unified, but he prays for the day that one day in flesh, we would be unified with Jesus again. How you experience Jesus right now is a fuzzy vision of the way that you will experience him one day in glory. We see through a glass darkly right now, but one day face to face, as Corinthians says. One commentator says at that time they saw Christ's glory as something shut up in the dark. As something shut up in the dark sees a feeble and glimmering light through small cracks. Christ now wants to give them Christ now wants to give them light to go on and enjoy the full brightness of heaven. Christ desires for the day that we would be unified with him. A unified church has that kind of hope. A unified church that has that kind of hope will change the world. A unified church that is committed to the word of God, a unified church that sacrificially loves one another and has the hope of heaven will change the world. It's what we latch onto, it's why we gather because we believe that this is not the end of the story that all the pain that we experience right now will be worth it one day as we are unified once again in body with our brother Jesus. Understanding our unity in Christ and our unity with one another, with the hope of heaven, we will declare to the world around us that Jesus is alive and out from him is an ever-flowing river of love. He desires for that for us and we desire that day together. I do want to read a poem that I found to be funny, um, but also really sweet and encaptures this text well. It's by a poet named Sam Hargraves. He says, we are many, God's great diversity, yet we are one in Christ. Different faces, different races, yet we are one in Christ. Butchers, bakers, website makers, bankers, tailors, teachers, sailors, yet we are one in Christ. Fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, single, married, broken, carried, yet we are one in Christ. The happy, the clappy, the barely out of nappies, the ancient, the modern, the famous, the forgotten, yet we are one in Christ. Some hopeful, some hopeless, some cope well, some cope less, some sure and some doubt, some whisper and some shout, yet we are one in Christ. Those with abundance, those in need, those who are generous or wrestle with greed, we are one in Christ. Elbows, tummies, knees and noses, kidneys, femurs, teeth and toeses, some unmentionable, some protected, some accepted, some rejected, yet we are one in Christ. A broken body torn apart, mars God's image, breaks God's heart. And yet our Father knows how the end will be when all of his kids sing in harmony. The bride will dazzle, her branches bloom. So add your voice to him the tune that we are one in Christ. Let's pray.
Father, we long for the kind of unity that you have laid out for us. The kind of unity that for us in this moment is just something that we can taste. But we long for the eternal unity when we can be with you. And until that day, God, increase our confidence in you so that we may pour the love that you've given us out into the world, that we may be united on mission for you to share the gospel with a a world that doesn't know you. And so God, as we go into this time of communion, remind us how we were unified through the breaking of your blood and the, the breaking of your body and the outpouring of your blood. Let us worship you in song, united as a people under the banner of the gospel. And God, if there's someone in this room today who's never encountered you or doesn't know you, never maybe even picked up a Bible, Lord, let them know in this moment through the power of the Holy Spirit that they can be saved and they can be unified with the body as well. Because of what you've done for us on the cross and your resurrection life has made us new. So God, do that work for us this morning. Continue to change us and transform us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.